What's going on, everyone? This is a special episode of the Sons of Liberty. I'm AJ Malillo. I'm Stephen Rombolo. And we are joined with the person running in the New Jersey 11th Congressional District as a Republican against Mikey Sherrill, Miss Rosemary Becky. It's so nice to be joined with you. And although there's going to be a little bit of delay here, we had a little bit of technical difficulties. We're, we're getting this train going. Nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you, both of you. I wish I could meet you in person, but it's nice to meet you virtually. Yes, absolutely. So uh, I guess the best way to, to start this is just how's your family and everything? It's a crazy world out there with the coronavirus going on. So is everybody happy and healthy and okay? Everybody is good. It, it is definitely a new environment uh, and a new surroundings and um, something that's getting used. we're getting used to. Um, I have three daughters. Um, uh, one is a senior in high school, um, and I have a 10th grader uh, as well as an 8th grader. And so we are adapting to online learning as well as, um, you know, getting used to being inside a little bit more. My oldest daughter has a compromised immune system, so she's been inside since early March. So it's, it's been a little rough, um, but uh, we decided to get a puppy to help us deal with um, getting through all this. So, so we've been definitely coping and playing a lot of card games and a lot of uh, building a lot of puzzles and things of that nature. That's awesome. And I'm so glad that you got the puppy. That's so great. That's a, that's a great way to cope with everything going on. I have to ask, what, what kind of dog? We got a Shih Tzu, and it is our very first pet. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. That's awesome. That's awesome. So getting into this, now that we know a little bit about your family, uh, tell us a little bit more about you as a person and why you decided to jump into politics. So, as I told you before, I mean, first and foremost, uh, I'm a mother of three just wonderful daughters. Um, I'm also a wife, and my background is that I'm a tax lawyer, and I've been doing uh, tax policy work my entire career. Um, I, I have started my career uh, working at the Internal Revenue Service in the Office of Chief Counsel. There, I was fortunate enough um, to go up to the United States Senate and work as tax counsel for the Senate Finance Committee. Um, but I got into this race because I truly believe that we need somebody in Washington that's um, fighting for New Jersey and fighting for New Jersey families. And I believe that I am the best uh, person to do that. You know, I've seen the difference that good policy can make in the lives of families. Um, I'm going to tell you a quick story about myself. When I was in college, like you, um, I, my family fell on some pretty hard times, and so much so that I almost had to leave school. Um, but I was fortunate enough to find the loans and the grants and the jobs to stay in school. And I graduated with over $100,000 worth of debt. And that experience stayed with me, and so much so that when I got up to the U.S. Senate and at the Senate Finance Committee and had the opportunity to co-author the 529 college savings plans, I poured my heart and soul into it because I really knew the difference like that, that good policy like that could make in the lives of families. 
And as you may know, that there are millions of families that save for college through the 529 uh, College Savings Program. And so, you know, I want to go to Washington to create good policy like that for families in New Jersey. Absolutely. That's that's an awesome an awesome story and one that everybody our age can relate to truthfully. It's perfect for our uh, our listeners and I'm sure everybody who's going to hear this is absolutely going to take uh, all that to heart because it is is a hard fact. Yeah, so Get it. So going along with that um this show that Stephen and I do is all about bipartisanship and getting through things and figuring things out on a bipartisan level. Stephen leans to the left, I lean to the right, but at the end of the day, we're best friends, we're roommates, we're coworkers. So my question to you is when, if and when you get into Congress, how are you going to work on a bipartisan level and still try and get that good legislation that's maybe leaning conservative, even though the House right now is uh, run by the Democrats? You know, the one thing that you should know about me is that I truly believe in bipartisanship. You know, when I worked in the U.S. Senate at the Senate Finance Committee, that committee has a long history of working in a bipartisan manner. And I will tell you that the writing of the 529 could have never gotten done if it wasn't done on a bipartisan basis. And it took a lot of time and a lot of effort to get those accounts from where they started to ultimately where they are today. But it's because of that bipartisanship and working together that they ultimately got there. And that's what's missing. And that's what's so desperately needed now. And I will tell you, I still am very close to, you know, the friends and former colleagues who are on the other side of the aisle um, and that I work with every day. Um, one of my closest friends and my business partner for a very long time was the chief of staff at the Senate Finance Committee for uh, Patrick Moynihan and then later uh, Baucus. And through the years, we've worked together because that truly is how you create good policy. And I think it's important, um, you know, that we bring that back. I've been a big part of organizations over the years um, that, again, believe in that bipartisanship. Um, I was one of the founders of an organization called Running Start that helps give young women the tools that they need to run for public office. And from the very beginning, that organization always had um, somebody representing, you know, the, the Republican side of the House and somebody representing the Democratic side of the House. And the, the, we sat with two co-chairs side by side because, again, we knew how important it was to operate in a bipartisan manner. That's awesome. Steven, I know that you got the next question here. This, yeah. is, this is one of your favorites, so it's all you. Well, you, you touched on, and you keep mentioning the, the 529 college savings plan, and it's very obvious that college is, um, there's a lot of college students in the 11th district. You have Montclair State, I believe, uh, Ramapo's there, right? And um, William Patterson are also within the district, or at least yep. near the borders yep. of the district. So uh, clearly there's a lot of college students so sort of a two-part question i'd want to ask what your appeal to college students is which i think you already touched on by mentioning the 529 and then also sort of um 
a lot of students believe, you know, those who don't advocate for free college believe that good paying jobs are uh, the best solution for students. So do you have a plan or any ideas on how you would sort of present students or bring these good paying jobs to the students in the district? You know, um, and, and I'll start with, because obviously I've talked about the 529 and how near and dear to my heart it is. And I've been where all of you have been. And I, I know, you know, the struggles of trying to get through school and, and taking on debt and the importance of finding the right jobs and the right opportunities once you leave school. Um, it's hard. It's very, very hard. And we have to continue to create those opportunities um, for students like you guys. We need to make sure that, you know, we provide companies with the lower taxes and the less regulation and the, the liquidity, frankly, that they need in order to be able to hire, um, you know, the next generation and to make sure they have jobs. I mean, this that's all a big part of this. And, and, and frankly, it's also incumbent upon us to, as you know, people are going on, going through school and taking on debt, things of that nature, that they're getting, you know, good information and help along the way in terms of evaluating whether or not taking on the debt, um, you know, makes a whole lot of sense and things of that nature. I do think that's really important. Um, you know, I think I personally feel that, you know, taking on as much debt as I did really helped me in the end. It, it, there were moments where, you know, I had to decide between feeding myself and, <laughs> and making that payment, but, you know, it built, it built a lot of character and it, um, I think it really shaped who I am and what I believe in. And so, so I was glad I had the opportunity. I was glad those monies were available to me. And, and frankly, it, it, it created inside me this willingness to give back and to pay it forward and to help others. And I think that that's a big part of it. I was fortunate that the, you know, the government, everybody was there to loan me those monies. I paid it back. And so I think it's important to be able to continue um, to kind of pay that forward to people and stuff. So. Absolutely. So my next question for you would be, because you, you started to mention the individual debt that a lot of people incur through student loans and among other things, but a big problem nationally is our national debt, obviously topping at over $20 trillion. And now we just spent, we just had the largest stimulus package in the history of the world. So yes. a lot of spending is coming out of Washington and obviously for something unforeseen like the coronavirus, that's where we expect the government to start spending money. But in times that we're not in a global pandemic, what do you think the government should start? Where should they cut spending and where should they start alleviating that national debt? This is an issue that is near and dear to my heart. I feel like it is such an important issue and it's never fun to talk about, you know, deficits and, and paying off debt and things of that nature. But I think this experience is going to teach us all that we need to get on top of that once we get through it so that we can be 
better prepared for rainy days and, and situations. You're right, we just passed a $2 trillion um, stimulus package. And right slightly before we did that, we were at $24 trillion deficit. So we need to do everything we can after we make it through this crisis is to begin to take a serious look at our spending and our deficits and begin to, you know, cut and, and, and consolidate and make smart choices about, you know, where, where we can do smart things and begin to, um, you know, lower, lower the deficit, lower the debt. I mean, again, prior to, you know, COVID-19, we were at a place where we were spending a trillion dollars more than we were taking in every single year. And if you think about that in your home budget, you know, you can't do that and you can't sustain that and live like that, right? You're ultimately going to crash and burn. So I, I think it's really important that we begin to look at our spending and make, you know, some smart choices. So one thing, if you don't have anything else, AJ. You're good, Steve. Um, with the stimulus package and, you know, considering your background in, in tax law, you might be able to provide some insight. Um, I know a lot of students, especially in the, uh, the Discord chats that we have for the radio station, have been complaining that uh, the stimulus package sort of forgot students because you have students who work jobs, claim their own taxes, but because their parents claim them as dependents and they're over the age of 17, um, they're not going to get any money. And so not only are these students out of work, out of school, they feel like they're being left out. So and on top of that, their parents aren't going to get the money because they're over 17. So they're in this weird limbo of being a dependent, but also not getting the benefits of a dependent for their yeah. parents. So is there any viable solution to that? Or is that something that would have to be sort of, you know, debated on the floor in the next uh, version of the stimulus package? No, it's probably something that needs to be looked at in the next stimulus package. Look, this past one happened very quickly. And I think one of the things that, um, you know, um, Senator McConnell has, has said is that, you know, we need to take a hard look at what we did, got, what we got right, what we got wrong in this package and, and make adjustments in the next package. Um, I don't think anybody's denying that there'll be, you know, at least, you know, probably two to three more packages before we get through this. And so I think those are things that have to be looked at. I also think that there's, um, you know, some other companies out there and sizes of companies that also kind of got forgotten. It's kind of like that, that middle group, let's call it like, right. <laughs> and so, you know, when you've got more than 500 employees, but yet you're not a large conglomerate and stuff. And it's kind of the same thing here and stuff. I think you have to take a hard look at who got the payments, the rebates, and who didn't, and and you know where where we can still help because remember this 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 is all about you know helping people kind of get through this difficult time. And if we forgot to take care of our college students, then then we need to do that, and we need to make sure that we help them. Certainly. So my next question, moving on from the stimulus package, but it is still quite an important question in regards to our current crisis, and that has to deal with healthcare. So coming from somebody who 
tends to side with the Republicans more than more often than not. In 2016, when we voted in uh, Republicans in the White House, in the Senate, and in the House of Representatives, we were promised a repeal and replacement of Obamacare. They promised this continuously, and we got sort of a repealing, not exactly, but no replacement at all from the Republicans. How can somebody who's in a district that wanted that trust somebody else that's running on this Republican ticket to deliver when in the past it hasn't? What would you do to deliver on promises like that? Again, honestly, it, it is about fighting and fighting hard um, for, for, you know, what's best for the people of this district. And we need, you know, in the healthcare front, open, free, transparent markets. And, and we have got to fight back against, you know, special interest and things of that nature and, and fight for what's best about for, for the people of this district. You know, people want to assume, um, I think with Republicans, they, you know, I always get um, right out of the gate, you know, um, whether it's on Facebook or from people, you know, on the opposite side that somehow, you know, all Republicans are against covering pre-existing conditions. We're not. We are not. And and I will tell you firsthand, I am a hard and fast believer of covering pre-existing conditions. My oldest daughter was born with her esophagus not connected to her stomach. It has led to a lifetime of medical and educational issues for her, most of which she's overcome, but she's fought a lot of battles and she spent a lot of time at doctors and things like that. And it all relates back to what occurred when she was born. And again, I think it's about fighting for, um, you know, more transparency. I think it's crucial that we have that. I think we need more competition. I think freer markets. Um, you know, really to keep, to fight for what we need on healthcare. And so it's, it's, you know, and again, coming out of this, um, you know, pandemic, we're going to need more on healthcare. So. Absolutely, Rosemary. I couldn't agree more. My mother's a, a diabetic and my brother had complications at birth too. So pre-existing conditions are close to my heart too. But I know Stephen's got the next question. So yes, um, so you sort of touched on it, and I kind of wanted to just bring the issue up and, and get your opinion. Um, one of the biggest things that you hear when people talk about healthcare in America is the cost of prescription drugs. And I know we could rabbit hole down, you know, this one issue for for hours and talk about, uh, you know, for profit healthcare and symptom management rather than curing diseases with these drugs. Um, but the one sort of talking point that a lot of people identify is that the FDA allows periods of, you know, up to eight to 10 years of market exclusivity for pharmaceutical companies that manufacture new drugs, which um, limits the, the competition and the ability to get generic brands to sort of consumers. Is that something that you would actively fight for, sort of take on the pharma industry and, uh, and work on freeing the markets up? Absolutely, because we have to, you know, I, again, I look at some of the prices of these prescriptions 
and and it's it's mind-boggling um, how expensive it is and stuff. My, my daughter takes a medication every month, and my copay is two hundred dollars. I have heart failure every time I'm at the pharmacy, right? And and you know, and and you really and we do see, you know, we all know that there's a lot of instances where you know. Um, brand the brand um, is necessary where they they need to write brand is medically necessary versus the generic and stuff because it actually does make a difference and stuff but but it, you know going back to your point it, we do need to bring the cost down and part of that cost is providing more competition <laughs> right like that's that's how you bring drive prices down is creating competition and that's what I'll fight for Absolutely. So moving on to a different topic, Stephen and I are both from the shore. So we're from beach towns and we love the Jersey shore. That's where we grew up. That's where we work. And it seems like when it comes to environmental protection, that always seems to lean on one side of the aisle and not the other. And as somebody, as I've said multiple times, leans Republican, the climate change and the environment is very important to me. So what are some things that we can make sure New Jersey beaches are still the best in the world that you would fight for as Congresswoman? You know, I, I mean, I, I think that we need to still, we need to be smart about, you know, what are changes in the environment and, and, you know, and, climate change and, and all of that. And I think we need to continue to make incremental changes and, and, you know, we can't go the route of the Green New Deal, you know, that's not realistic, um, but we have to continue to encourage, you know, uh, our companies and our everyone to be greener and, and, and all of that and provide incentives for companies to do that. I mean, it's really got to be, you know, kind of a carrot and stick approach to it. Um, because I do, I love the Jersey Shore too, and I want to continue to enjoy it just like you guys do. And we have to be, again, smart about it and make incremental smart changes that, you know, that we can all adapt to. And again, I think this experience is going to teach us that, um, teach us that very much as we come out of all this. I love seeing everybody walking around my neighborhood right now. I think it's great, right? And because nobody's got anywhere to go. So it, it's kind of refreshing to see. And again, um, you know, I think as, as we, you know, move forward, we've got to kind of make those changes. So the one thing about climate change, um, AJ touched on, you know, it affects us locally here. Um, obviously, I, I live a block and a, and a half away from the beach, so it's, it's very near and dear to me. But climate change is something that is global. And um, so the Union of Concerned Scientists, and I know a bunch of other data uh, points that I could send over if you ever wanted to read them, um, claim that the United States is the, uh, the second highest producer of CO2 emissions. And I know a big point in your climate policy is sort of getting adherence to these, these international guidelines. Um, my question would be, is it you know, right? Is it the United States' position to be the leader on these issues? Or should we sort of take a step back on this one and let company, or companies, countries with um, 
you know, better CO2 emissions and better environmental policies take the mantle? I think we need to learn from other countries. I, I, I am. I think it's so important to, you know, um, really listen to others and learn from others and learn what's being done well. And this is, you know, as you pointed out, you know, this is an area where we probably have a lot to learn from others. And I, I think we need to. Um, I, I, I think the world, you know, we have a lot to teach each other and we have a lot to learn from each other. And this is one area we can learn from others on. I absolutely agree. And I'm not sure if this will turn out to be a question. Maybe it's just a little bit of my personal thoughts. Uh, France has done a wonderful job at including nuclear energy into their energy system. And, they, and I think that the United States needs to take a good look at nuclear energy because it's the cleanest and most efficient energy source we have. So I 100% agree with you, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to move on from the environment. If uh, Stephen, you want to take this next question. Yeah. So uh, we're going we're gonna to hit immigration. Um, so the, in 2017, researchers from the uh, Center of American Progress published a report with um, data that they had found that was corroborated and then, you know, published in academic journals, um, sort of, uh, pointing to and making the point that sanctuary cities um, actually have really no effect on crime levels and, you know, income isn't really lower or greater in those areas. It's all pretty median and the sanctuary city status doesn't do much. So I noticed on your campaign website, you said that sanctuary cities were unsafe. I was wondering if you could extrapolate on that knowing the data or some of the data that exists. Oh, I, I guess this is maybe where I disagree with you. I mean, I have a great concern about the sanctuary cities. I, I you know, as a mother of three daughters, I mean, I, I'm a mama bear, and I, I care very much about keeping my children safe and keeping, the, you know, all kids safe. And I worry very much about sanctuary cities and, and who, you know, and, and the potential impact uh, on their safety. So I, yeah, um, I, I think there's data, you know, obviously in a lot of instances, there's always data that goes both ways, but I do, I do worry about it. You know, it's, it's definitely something that keeps me up and makes me worry quite a bit. So uh, along the same topic as that, my question to you is that, you do, in your campaign website, you mentioned that you have compassion for people who come to America to build families here and provide a better life. So my question is, for those illegal immigrants that have come here, but their only crime was that initial crime of crossing the border, do you support amnesty for people that are really, honestly, their their only way here maybe was to cross the border, and since then they've been working and they haven't committed any other crimes? Do you support amnesty for those people? I think we have to find a way to to help the people that are that are here. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of compassion for those people. I have a lot of compassion for those that are here that didn't even know that they were illegally here, right? That their parents brought them here and they have no idea until they later discover 
you know, when they go to apply for something, you know, that it's not, not that they were brought here illegally. And so I do have a lot of compassion for that. I do think we have to find the answers and the solutions. And, and again, I think this is where the bipartisanship comes up in. I think we have to have some serious dialogue about how do you have compassion for those that are here, but yet not encourage that to go continue. You know what I mean? To, to find the line in the sand that's fair and fair to all, right? It's like, and again, uh, yes, I am super compassionate. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time in my life helping, you know, disadvantaged youth and I, I've seen the struggles that a lot of kids have had and stuff and, and I'm, very compassionate about that and um and but at the same time you know we have to do what's fair um a lot of our ancestors including mine came here legally and and became legal citizens and stuff and and and, and it, 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 they created the path for me right and so you know you want to you want to create some kind of balance and again i don't have all the answers but what i think i do have is the ability to bring people together to sit at the table and have a dialogue about it and come up with the ideas and the solutions i couldn't agree more and so my last question um for this not not the immigration part of the interview but this part of the interview is um, Mikey Sherrill is obviously the current congresswoman in the district, and it seems to me that she has a lot of support and she's going to be a tough person to run against. So what do you think, why, why did you decide to run against Mikey? What has she done that you disagree with and why, why do you think you have such a good chance of beating her? she's lied to the people of this district. I think she promised to go to Washington and be a different kind of Democrat. I think she, you know, I actually had a chance to look at the interview she did with you, you, you guys, you know, long ago. She promised to work in a bipartisan manner and she hasn't. Um, she really has not. She has voted with Nancy Pelosi 98% of the time. And that's not what the people of this district sent her there to do. They sent her there to represent them and she hasn't done that. And so that's why I'm running against her. Steven, did you have a, Very you have a question? Yes. Uh, before I, we get our final three, did you have something to ask? I, I am totally all right. I'm actually all excited right. for the final three. All right, so as you said, you listened <laughs> you listen oh, to that, the best questions. <laughs> you listen to that interview with Mikey, so you may have a little bit of uh, an advantage here. But these final three questions, they might be the hardest questions in the interview, but they're certainly the most fun and where we get to find out the most about you as a person. So our first question is, if you were stranded or on an island, or at this point, if you're stranded in your, in your house, <laughs> right, and you only have one book, one movie, and one TV show to keep you busy, what would they be? Okay, I'm going to reveal my guilty pleasure a little bit here. Um, probably the TV show, I, I, just to take my mind away, I've been watching old episodes of Seinfeld. Nice. Very near to my heart. <laughs> Good show. I just started watching Curb Your Enthusiasm. Nice. <laughs> yeah, so, and then movie and book. What about those two? Um, 
So, a book, you know, I'm kind of one of those people that I like to um, read, you know, uh, stories about others, autobiographies, things of that nature. Um, I just finished um, Hillbilly Elegy, which I really enjoyed. Um, I thought it was a good, fast, enjoyable read, um, very insightful. Um, and movie, wow, um, <laughs> trying to think, you know, again, I like to laugh and be silly, um, probably one of my favorites, um, uh, is, um, um, gosh, ha happy, uh, happy Gilmore is probably Oh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> classic. Adam Sandler. You know, right. and in times like this, you just, you need that kind of release. I can't tell why I've had three daughters, and so I've been stuck watching kind of um, some some of the Disney-type, you know, <laughs> musicals. And <laughs> no, Happy Gilmore's great. That's classic. I like Billy Madison. That's my favorite <laughs> Santa movie. <laughs> All right, so second question. You're going on a road trip. Jersey to California, once the quarantine's over, obviously. You could take one person, dead or alive, with you. Who would you take? You know, I would take my husband with me. Oh. Um, we have, no, we've been, he's my best friend, and we could, as we always joke around, uh, we've been through it all together. Um, we could have fun in a paper bag. Um, <laughs> we just we just make each other laugh, and we, we enjoy each other, and you know, even through all of this, it's been um, some interesting times. And, you know, for we've been together for really almost 30 years now. Um, and it's, I take him on my road trip. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the best answer you could give, I think. But the last question. The, the daughters, though? <laughs> <laughs> I might take them, too. <laughs> <laughs> so... Our third and final question, and this might sway a lot of voters one way or the other. This is a big one. You're, you're obviously from Jersey. You live in Jersey. Bruce Springsteen or Bon Jovi, who are you listening to with your husband on that road trip? Bon Jovi. Ah. I, am probably, I am probably John Bon Jovi's first fan. <laughs> oh, you're going to have to fight with my mom on that one. <laughs> I probably, you're going to tell your mom. I probably was not our first fan. <laughs> I'm well, a Bruce guy. I've been, I, I've been there since the very beginning. <laughs> I went to concerts every single year. I haven't been in a couple of years probably, but I just, I'm a big concert fan. <laughs> well, Rosemary, thank you so much for giving us your time today. We really, really appreciate it. It was a wonderful interview and it was great meeting you. It was a pleasure. Yeah. So thank we'll, you guys. We'll leave you with this. If people want to know more about you, if they're interested, where can they reach you? What are your socials and your campaign website and the whole nine? Yeah, so our website is Becky for Congress, and it's B-E-C-C-H-I for Congress.com. And we are also on Facebook, on Instagram, and Twitter as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. Stay safe, stay healthy, and the best wishes to you and your family. Thanks, and best wishes to both of you, and thank you. I, You know what? This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Bye.